the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, which means we don't have a bunch to talk about. So we get right into our program. And with the questions, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, church questions, life questions. Whatever is on your heart and mind, we'll do the best that we can to answer. All you have to do is call us. 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I understand they were busy with questions yesterday, so we would love your calls again today. One more time, 340-9585. Let me first thank Pastor Ken for filling in for me yesterday. Uh, He told you I had a doctor's appointment. There was nothing wrong. It was just my, um, I guess, my important post-operative, operative operative, uh, follow-up, and they couldn't do it any other time. Uh, Normally, they're able to accommodate the radio schedule, but they couldn't this time. And so, um, just thank you all for your prayers, and um, I came through the appointment fine. They kept using the word perfect. Seemed to be surprised that things were going as well as they were. And uh, so I am really, really grateful. Um, As you know, today is election day uh, here in our country. Uh, And uh, I've got Lori on the line. So Lori, if you give me just one minute, let me do this and I'll get right to your call. So please be patient with me. Um, Because it's election day, uh, there are a couple of things I'd like to say. First, um, as Christians, and I'm speaking only to Christians now, that's the majority of my audience, uh, but certainly not everybody, but just to Christians, um, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, so here's what I would ask you to prayerfully consider today. Vote, do your part, vote your conscience, vote for the candidate of your choice, and then tomorrow, get up, get rid of your yard signs, get rid of your bumper stickers, And regardless of who wins or who loses, be ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says that's exactly what we are. We've received this ministry of reconciliation. Now, I understand the context there is between man and God. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that we've got to be his ambassadors, Jesus' ambassadors. And that means we need to get off Facebook and start arguing. We need to be identified just with Christ. Again, the yard signs and the bumper stickers, none of it matters tomorrow. And we're all called as Christians to support whoever wins. It doesn't mean we have to agree with their positions, but we support them. We pray for them. We are 
doing our part in terms of being citizens in this wonderful country. But most of all, we have to remember that our focus has to be on Jesus. This isn't about invading caravans. This isn't about um, one agenda left versus the other agenda right. Everybody out there who disagrees with you is an object of God's love. And because he or she is exactly that, then it is our responsibility, our solemn responsibility, to make sure that we do the same thing. Maybe turn off the news channels after tonight. Get in your Bible and look at people that God loves. So I'll be praying that you'll do that. That's what we're going to do. Lori, thank you for being patient. Lori on line one from San Antonio, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Lori. Hi. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, what you, I can hear you fine. What's your question? Um, I just, um, I just, I'm just thankful. I'm sorry. I just called because I just felt like I needed to. Uh, okay. Thankful for everything, from, for my family, and just, I need a prayer. And that's all. Thank you, Lord. Can I, I is there yourself. something Thank you. Is there something specific I can pray for? Um, for my my husband's health, for okay. my entire family. Okay, Lori, I will be praying. I promise you that. Thank you very much for calling. And anybody that feels led to call, it doesn't matter. What it's about, we'll be happy to do it. Let me pray really quickly for Lori and Lori's husband. Lori, um, Father, we lift Lori to you and her husband for his health. And anything else, you know what you put on her heart today. So whatever it is, wrap your arms around her. Convince her of just how much you love her. And by the power of your spirit, whatever's wrong with her husband, touch and heal. This is a prayer request that's very close to my heart right now, Jesus, because we've got so many in our church who are suffering, dealing with cancer and dealing with all kinds of other issues and surgeries and, and, and bad backs and things. And Lord, just touch and heal, please. Give us the strength to be those ministers of reconciliation. We pray this for Lori and for her husband. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Laura. I would have, I'd, uh, be happy to do that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, here is a question that came in from, let me see, this one's first. This one is from Brian from our mobile app. He says, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 25, did Zipporah circumcise one son or both? Um, Brian, the way it's written, it would appear that just one son was circumcised. Um, the, 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 the tension, of course, was she believed that to be barbaric and in terms of its practice and application. She just didn't want her son or sons to be circumcised. Now, we know that, that Moses had two sons, so we think, well, what happened to the other? Uh, probably, in, in terms of chronology, the other son hadn't yet been born at this time. That would be the most obvious explanation, um, but the answer is, is, is it appears from the language of Exodus 4.25, that it was just one son, uh, and uh, she did it under protest, and then she left, and of course you know that Moses remained faithful to God, and, and God brought Zipporah back, and the family was then brought back together. So I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from our email inbox from John. He says, Proverbs 29.19 says, A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. Does this mean that correction can only be corporal? John, we're talking not about children here. We're talking about servants. That's very important. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. A uh, servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. I think the idea here, and remember, that's what um, uh, Proverbs is. And especially when you get late in the Proverbs, it's just like sort of a shotgun blast of wisdom. And, and I think what he's telling us here, generally speaking, 
Discipline and consistency is needed for correction. No one, can, no one will correct themselves. They need to be trained. That's what discipline is. And they need consistent examples. And then the correction or the response will be sort of programmed in over a period of time. Um, this has nothing to do with corporal punishment. Uh, this is simply uh, a, a general rule. That's what Proverbs and the other wisdom books, the, po the poetic books, are all about. I, I listened to about, um, oh, half of the program yesterday on the way home from the doctor's office. And um, I, I know Ken had a question about um, uh, Proverbs. Or this one was Psalms, I think, about the 70 years. And it's very important we understand that we never make doctrine or make definitive statements out of the books of poetry. These are general ideas. The question, yes, it was about 70 years of life. Um, we know that before then and after then, people lived longer than 70 years. They lived less than 70 years. Um, so, so we really need to be good students when it comes to these books or will really get messed up as was the case with the question yesterday. So these are not books that we make doctrine out of. These are simply the books that we um, we understand this is wisdom coming from God to us. So thank you very, very much. Um, let's see here. We've got Cindy online too. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Okay, um, now many, many years ago when my biological father was alive, he had a dream, and he said that he was on a white horse and there was a big multitude and that he knew that Christ was way ahead and that he looked to his side and he said that I was on the horse next to him. Now, I'm not putting a bunch of big stock into this dream or anything. It's just something, you know, that, that he told me about. But in Revelation, it says in um, chapter 19... Verse 14, and the armies in heaven clothed in white linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And then, you know, it goes through a bunch of description and things. And then it, uh, same chapter, verse 19, it says, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And my question is, are we part of that army, and what are we going to be doing to, to, um, to all the people that, that, if we are, that we're, that we're fighting? So I'll let you answer me, and I'll um, hang the phone up. And it's good to have you thank back. I oh, thank you, Cindy. Thank you. You know, um, uh, when Jesus comes back with us, I, I love the way she, she ended that question. What's our part? You know, uh, Jesus is going to destroy his enemies with the word, so he doesn't need us. You know, it also seemed to be interesting to know what was going on in dad's life when he had that dream. Because it might have been that moment when he was praying for you to to be saved as as a as a young girl and and uh, oh Lord I want my daughter to grow up to know Jesus and and God would have given that wonderful picture and it would have been wonderfully encouraging. Uh, it seems clear that your dad understood that Revelation 19 was exactly that uh, opportunity. Uh, here's what's going to be happening, Cindy. This is at the end of the Great Tribulation. This is when Jesus has finally had enough, and he comes down uh, with his reward. And we're, we're described there as his reward. So we're going to be the army that doesn't really do any of the fighting because Jesus does it all. It's his robe that's drenched in blood. It's his robe and his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. We're just there. We're the multitude there. And, and the white linen, of course, is the symbol of the righteousness of the saints. The white horses uh, describes our, our mission of war as a holy war, a holy mission of war, to come and set things right. Uh, and um, what's going to happen? This is in the, in the Valley of Megiddo. We call it the Battle of Armageddon. Um, the, the forces from the east, the 200 million men army from the east, and the forces of the Antichrist are going to gather in that perfect amphitheater for war. And they're going to, at least their intention is to fight one another. And it's going to be there, at that war where Jesus appears with us, and the 200 million men army... Uh, and the forces of the Antichrist are going to join together and turn their weapons on Jesus. And that's when it's all going to end. 
So, Cindy, that's what the description is, and what a beautiful, beautiful dream for your father to have had. Thank you for the question. By the way, we had a great teaching last night on uh, the rapture of the church. Nancy Jones did it in our ladies' Bible study. Women, you can watch that at calvaryessay.com if you are so inclined. Uh, here is a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. Um, here she says, have you heard of Jen Hatmaker? I read that she's somewhat of a confused Christian and that she's leading many astray in her own spiritual quest. If you know who she is, would you agree? Uh, Anonymous, I do know one of the things that I, I have to do um, in particular because I get asked questions like this from the church but also on the radio program is kind of keep up with, with people who have a public forum and when they do difficult things or they, they, they find themselves um, sort of out of step with what we consider accepted doctrine, I do want to know. Jen Hatmaker was a, uh, a woman who had a very successful show on Home and Garden TV. I think she's written three or four books, um, a, a very devoted following, very popular. Uh, and one of the reasons Christians liked her was because her and her husband were, were, were very vocal in their Christian faith. Well, here's what happened. Um, Jen and her husband, I think his name is Brandon, they decided they were going to go on a quest. Now, I'm going to use their words because I want this to be fair analysis. They said, we saw so much pain over the Christian position on homosexuality. We saw so much pain. We saw so many lives being destroyed that we decided that we had to find out for ourselves how this could be true. And so they say, both of them, they committed themselves to more than a year worth of Bible study. And they came to the conclusion, now this was terrible Bible study, but nonetheless they came to the conclusion that monogamous homosexual sex is actually holy and the church's responsibility is to affirm LGBTQ um, uh, relationships and welcomed them into the church as full and vested members of the body of Christ. Now obviously she lost a lot of her following. She's still got a blog and she's still um, um, doing books and she's still speaking in places. Uh, the problem, however, is that, that, that she's just wrong. Um, the reason I want to bring, use this question today it's because this really should be a warning for all of us that if we're not committed students of our Bibles, if we won't stand firm in what we know to be true, what has for 2,000 years been, been accepted, unquestioned Christian theology as it relates to, to, to human sexuality, has suddenly in these last 15 years been thrown aside by much of the professing Christian church. And here's what I want everybody in the audience to know, that if you don't know the word, if you haven't made a decision to stand firm in the word, no matter what the world does, then you're too going to get swept up and you're going to have somebody calling in about you and saying, I've heard she's a confused Christian. We've got to know that what was true 2,000 years ago is true today. God doesn't change because the world changes. What our world has done is rebelled against Jesus Christ and done so so openly and so blatantly that we now live in a time that is similar to the time Isaiah the prophet described in the fifth chapter of his prophecy when he said we live in a time when evil is called good and good is called evil where men are dragging their sin behind them in the public streets with cords of deceit they have been deceived and anonymous what's happened here is that Jen Hatmaker and her husband Brandon have fallen to the false god of popularity, the false god of emotions and feelings. They have completely forgotten that God is holy. They've completely forgotten that our sexual 
identities are a gift from God, the benefits from the gift of sex from God are ours to enjoy. But, but because God granted that to us, it's his gift to us, we don't get to change it. And I know I've said this in the past, but Anonymous, what we've done here is instead of realizing that we've been made in the image of God, we've returned the favor. We're trying now to remake God in our image, and it never works that way. And for somebody to come up with what appears to be, in reading their materials, when they advertise that this is a result of more than a year's worth of serious study, this is absolute heresy. And the problem is, you're giving people the freedom to sin. And all the while, people are patting you on the back and congratulating you and being loving, when in fact, it's the least loving thing that we can do. So yes, I've heard of Jen Hatmaker. We need to pray for her and her husband, Brandon. Um, but more important, every one of us has to be honest enough to, to, to know and to admit that unless we are constantly being washed in the Word of God, then we're all going to eventually fall at this false altar. We've turned human sexuality into an idol. This is Baal, this is Diana or Artemis. This is every bit as much of idolatry as what we read about practiced in the, the Old Testament. So what we have to do is know what's true and never reject what's true. Nobody is growing in their faith. Nobody's growing in the knowledge of God if they desert the truth of God. And unfortunately, these people have, and they are leading others astray. You know, it's, it's easy to be popular if you're telling people what they want to hear. It's really important that we hold on with all of our strength to what's true. I think one of the things that I have done well in my 27 plus years walking with Jesus is I've never abandoned something that I knew was true. Now I've grown a lot in 27 years in my faith. I've grown in my knowledge of who God is. I've grown in my knowledge of his will for my life. But you see, none of that growth is possible if we reject what we know is true. And we are living in a time when this world is going to beat and pound and pound and pound trying to get us to agree that it's okay to sin. It's okay to sin. It's not. We have three minutes. Here's a question from Andres. He says, how can I be sure that what I'm hearing is really God and not just what I want to hear? Uh, that's the million-dollar question, Andres. I mean, that, that question's been asked by every Christian who's ever lived. Here's a couple of things to know. You can be sure if what you're hearing lines up with the Word of God, it's consistent with what the Bible has already revealed, then you can hold on to that as being certain from God. The other thing that you can be sure or, or that will help you be sure that what you're hearing is from God, is to be sure that you're walking rightly with God. You can't be walking in sin. You can't be doing your own thing. Um, you know, there are no independent Christians. And, um, you know, if you're not part of a local body, if you're not invested in serving that body, um, then the enemy is going to be screaming at you because he wants to confuse you. He wants you on the wrong path. Now, there's a third thing here that I want to talk about because this is, I think, a misunderstanding that many believers have. Um, God gives us the desires of our heart. To light yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. That's what David writes. So here's what we have to understand. We shouldn't be surprised when God gives us what we want. When God answers a prayer the way we want it to be answered. If you're walking right with God, if it's consistent with the word, uh, we should be more surprised if it isn't what we want to do. 
God loves us. He wants us to be blessed. And so I think with those three pieces of instruction, Andres, you can you can be sure that what you're hearing is from the Lord. Now, if you're married, and I don't know if you are, here's what I do. If I think I hear something from the Lord, I run it through Paula. We're one flesh. She's my partner in life. And so I run it through her, and if I run it through her, she's going to pray about it. And when she comes and she confirms it as well, well, then there's no stopping us. And that's the perfect relationship between a husband and wife walking in the will of God. And if she doesn't agree with me or she doesn't say, well, I haven't heard anything yet, I don't take that personally. I just imagine that God is sort of governing my timetable. It's something that he wants me to do. But when the time is right, he'll speak to her heart about it. And then we can walk together. Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? So, Andres, I hope that helps. 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, second half of the word to stand on for life. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We just had a, a text uh, during the break about uh, Jen Hatmaker coming to San Antonio. Um, um, Christians shouldn't be there. It's just that simple. Christians should not be there. If you like what she does on Home and Garden TV, I don't think she's on anymore, but if you like that kind of stuff, fine. But but we shouldn't support a ministry. We shouldn't support a ministry that dishonors our Jesus. It's that simple. Here's an anonymous question. How can I resist temptation? There are some things that I just can't stop doing. Let me correct you, Anonymous. If you're a believer, a Christian, born again, you can stop doing them. Truth is, you don't want to stop doing them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You can stop doing the things you're not supposed to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the way you resist temptation is to walk with Jesus, to be in the Word, to die to your flesh every day so you can live for Christ. And don't ever believe that you can't stop doing something. The truth is, and you have to admit this, you have to be honest, there are things that you just don't want to stop doing, and that's true for a lot of us as believers. So Anonymous, um, read your Bible. Let's go to Andrew on line one from San Antonio. Andrew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Uh, I live I live on the deep west side in Prospect Hills, and uh, I've noticed that the police in the area are involved in the drug trade. Um, and I'm torn because, you know, it, in the Bible it says that whatever rulers are in place are in place because of God's will. So are we as Christians supposed to fight uh, corruption and evil, or are we supposed to uh, just allow, is this God's will? Andrew, I can answer that. It's it's uh, it's certainly not God's will. When, when the Bible talks about uh, submitting to the government authority, the governing authorities, uh, because the authorities have been established by God. He doesn't mean the people. There have always been evil men and women in authority. That's the history of the world that we live in. Uh, when Paul wrote that and Peter at the same time wrote it, uh, the, 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 the emperor was Caesar Nero, uh, arguably one of the three or four most evil men who's ever walked the face of the earth. So he's not talking about, well, that man's been put there by God, and so uh, we should leave him alone. Uh, as Christians, when we see sin, when we see corruption, 
um, and, and, and people in authority breaking laws, we need to report it. So you say you've noticed it. I don't know how you've noticed it. Sir, I videotaped seen? it on. I videotaped it up with the GoPro. Uh, okay. They allow they allow the junkies and the drug dealers to run rampant in Prospect Hills, uh, and the corruption seems to be very widespread. And if you report it, not only will they go after you, but they'll go after your family as well. And of course, I don't want my family to suffer or be murdered by uh, people involved in the drug trade. But let me assure you that the level of corruption in San Antonio goes to the very top. I've called yep. the FBI. I've called everyone, and they don't seem interested. I've called local news stations. I have video. I have thousands of hours of video documenting this, and it seems like uh, those in power protect each other and they allow this to continue uh and you say we'll go out and vote well i do vote another thing is uh like this sunday in church they were talking about missions in africa and they have missions in mexico well let me tell you the the need for jesus on the west side is so profound it is we are desperate we are desperate yep. for for christians on the west side we are desperate for for people just to walk the neighborhoods and let the and let the people know that we care about them and that we are not going to allow this type of evil to persist in the neighborhoods. But it is it is widespread and it is uh, it is comprehensive the, the hey, evil Andrew, that that is there. Let me make one more suggestion, and, and uh, you can listen off the off the phone. And um, I, I hope. Um, um, there's always an outlet. There's always somebody who's willing to take stand for righteousness. If you're going to be that man, um, what, if I were in your position and if I was afraid that my family would be um, under attack because I did it, uh, I would send the video that you have anonymously to um, uh, somebody at the Express News. We've got plenty of journalists and columnists, by the way, uh, who I've used a time or two. Um, who who um, are really concerned? They're 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 much less concerned with protecting authority than they are with with getting what they believe to be the truth out there. And I would send it to um, um, somebody like Brian Chasnoff, who I know personally. Um, I don't agree with a whole bunch of what he writes, but uh, um, I, I've done this before, not anonymously, but I've done this before. We were having a problem with the city. And he honestly and accurately took the um, took the, the the information that we gave him, and um, uh, he took it to a whole new level. So that's the first thing I would do. Obviously, I'm going to tell you as a Christian to pray. Uh, the Lord loves the West Side, the people on the West Side, the people that are your neighbors and your family members. So um, um, continually bring this up before the Lord. Um, but but let me also do one other thing. Um, we have to be careful, especially as Christians. We have to be really careful of painting with too broad a brush. Uh, in any organization as big as the San Antonio Police Department, um, there are going to be some really bad people. Uh, we can't escape it. There's good and there's bad everywhere. But let me also say this, that by and large, and I don't know... Well, I do know a few of the leaders, a few of the deputy chiefs. Um, we've had some of them come to our church. Um, these are men and women uh, who are risking their lives on the streets um, because they want to do what's right. And I think, by and large, our police department, um, I've also been on the San Antonio Citizens Committee, advisory board rather, for the, 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 the FBI here in San Antonio. And the people I've met in both those places are people who are committed to doing their job and they do it at great personal expense and they do it without enrichment. The fact that there are some who are involved in the drug trade, there are some who are uh, being abusive or, or even uh, racist in their application of the law, um, we just can't let that um, 
color our view on the police department in general. Andrew, I'll be praying for you, um, but send it to the newspaper. There's journalists, I was a journalist major in college. I thought that's what I was going to do with my life. When I got done playing professional baseball for the Dodgers, of course, that didn't work out. Um, um, but, but they're a crusty group, and if you give them a story, they're going to follow it. 340-9585, here's a question from Lee, and this could be a man or a woman, I guess. Uh, he or she says, does everyone eventually get to heaven? Lee, the answer is no. Uh, the only people that go to heaven are perfect people. The only people that get to heaven are perfect people. And the only way we can be perfectly is by receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, by being born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why are we then perfect? Because he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness, it's not a righteousness of our own. It's, it's an imputed righteousness credited to our account. And when we go to the judgment seat, we're going to be judged not for what we've done, but, but instead for what Jesus has done. And because he was perfect, and gave that perfection to us, we're going to be in heaven. Everybody else, Paul says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God our Father in heaven. Everybody else is going to have to stand and give account of their own lives. And any sin at all, any sin at all disqualifies you and the idea that God is going to sort of relent and let everybody in because after all he's a God of love is foreign to what we know about God. God is holy. God is just. In the sixth chapter of Isaiah's prophecy we see even the angels unable to look at the throne of God unable to stand at the throne of God. They're flying around and all they can do is declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What that means, Lee, is that God has to judge sin. And he's made it so our sin won't be judged, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important that we tell people that Jesus is the only way to the Father in heaven. So no, most people, sadly, are going to end up separated from God forever and ever. We call that hell. Here is another difficult question, uh, anonymously sent. Should parents send kids to public schools in light of their transgender philosophies? Anonymous, our world has gone absolutely crazy. This whole thing, the world that we live in. Can you imagine kindergartners and first graders being taught that gender is fluid? That, that biology and DNA means nothing. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening. So should parents send their kids to public schools? If they do, and, and it's certainly that's a decision that parents need to make prayerfully, but if they do send them, well, then they've got to equip those kids to stand for the truth in public school. You know, I think sometimes we just think, well, I can't afford private school. I'm gonna, but, but we've got to take our kids and sit down and, and let them know what's going to be happening when they get there. We have to take an active role in leadership at school, whether it's PTAs or, or board meetings. or uh, we, We've got to let our, our voice, respectfully let our voices be heard. We need to go to our schools and say, my child is not going to be um, in any of your transgender lectures. Um, this is what we teach our children based on the Word of God. This is what we teach our children based on 2,000 years of New Testament history. And we're not going to allow you to raise our kids and form their ideas about sexuality. And honestly, Anonymous. As parents, we just don't do a good job. We don't do a good job. Apart from you preparing your children and equipping them to stand for the truth, 
our kids, they're going to get brainwashed. Let me tell you something. We have a Christian school here at Calvary Chapel. K through 12, this is our 20th year. And the parents that don't equip their children for the world that they live in, well, we're losing those kids too, even though they go here. It's the word, it's the word, it's the word. It's being consistent, as said to an earlier question, being firm when dealing with right and wrong. And equipping your children to be able to give an answer for what they believe and why they believe it. So whether or not parents should send their kids to public schools, that's between them and the Lord. But here's what I can tell you. If they don't equip their children, it doesn't matter how safe they try to be. They can homeschool them. I'm debating right now whether to get on a soapbox for a moment. Okay, I'll do it just for a little soapbox for just a moment. A parent who would worry about sending their kids to public school, but who would allow their children access to the internet on phones, they're not protecting their children. People look at me like I'm a Neanderthal when I tell them, your kids don't need phones. Well, everybody has phones, yeah, and there's cyberbullying, and there's all these ideas and exposure to pornography and all these other things that, that kids, by the very nature of their development, aren't prepared to handle. My youth pastor, Pastor Nelly, one of our pastors of the class, he told all the parents there, he said, you know, if you allow your child access to their phone at night in their room with the door closed, you might as well poison them. You're giving Satan an opportunity to destroy him. And we parents are so worried about our kids liking us and, well, everybody else gets to do it. I don't want my kids to be left out. Your child has unfettered access to a cell phone. And you can say, well, I check it. I've, uh, I know who they're talking to on Facebook. I see. Believe me, those kids know how to get around the things that you think you know. And no kid is immune. All of your children gasp, have flesh. It's your responsibility to be a parent and not a friend. Okay, small soapbox. I apologize. Here's a question from Paul. Pastor Ron, how should Christians view conspiracy theories that are now so common? Well, well, Paul, I just got done talking about the Internet. That's where they're getting these conspiracy theories, and the conspiracy theories seem to fit so well with explanations about things that we have questions about. Um, but here's how we should view them. We should view them as poison from the pit of hell from the devil himself. Now, I, I've had a son who hopefully no longer, but I had a son who really got tripped up by these conspiracy theories. He spent so much time studying them, researching them, that he couldn't trust or believe anyone. I said, where is your faith? But Dad, you don't know what's going on. And Hopefully, after a lot of prayer and practical discussion, I think we've broken him of that. And this is a grown man, by the way. But I believe with all of my heart, having watched firsthand what they were doing to my son, I believe that conspiracy theories are demonically inspired and empowered. And for the Christians, and Paul, that was your question, how should Christians view conspiracy theories? For a Christian who isn't spending more time in his or her Bible than on the Internet, you're going to get caught. The devil is the ruler of the air, the prince of the air, Paul calls him. And unless we're equipped... 
we're going to get hammered. We're no match for an enemy who wants to destroy us. Fortunately, with Jesus and equipped in the Word, the devil's no match for our Jesus. But when we're trying to do these things from a human perspective, we're going to get crushed. So, Paul, avoid them, avoid them, avoid them, avoid them. Don't waste your time on those things. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, here's a practical question from Seth. Um, Pastor Ron, why do Christians say amen at the end of their prayers? Amen, Seth, is, a, is an agreement term. Um, so be it. So when somebody says uh, something in a prayer and you say amen to it, you're, you're ag agreeing with... Um, the content of the prayer. So we say amen, my friends from Europe would say. It's not amen, it's amen. Um, but we say um, amen to, uh, to to signal our agree. You know, I don't do this, but there are some pastors who when they are praying, they'll read the Bible passage they're going to teach, and then they'll have a prayer, and then they'll say at the end of it, everybody who agrees says. Um, I don't think we need to go that, that far, but... Um, we're just agreeing with the content of the prayer, Seth. Here is a question from Lawrence. Lawrence wants to know, what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? Lawrence, um, remember, the gospel is about the one who saves us. The gospel doesn't save us. There's nothing magic about the words. The words matter because they point us to the person who saves us, Jesus Christ. So everybody has some light. Everybody has some light. You could be born in the Middle East in a Muslim home. Uh, you could be born in Asia in a Buddhist home or, or, or in, in India or Pakistan in a Hindu home. But by acknowledging that there is a God, whether it's one God or millions of them in the Hindu religion, we're accountable to find out if what we're worshiping is God really is God. Now, God has given us some clear clues. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language that are not understood. So somebody who's never heard the gospel, somebody in a foreign country, I can promise you that wherever he or she gets up, the sun still rises in the east. The sun still sets in the west. It happens every single day. That is a clear indication that there is a designer. And if there's a designer, our jobs find who that designer is. And and our Bible say that, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you could be wrong. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, is an example. He was really seeking God. He was desperately wrong, but he was seeking God. And as he sought God, he ran square into him one day on the road to Damascus. And because his heart was really wanting to serve the Lord, to serve God, once that, that one was identified, Paul, of course, spent the rest of his life following him, serving him. Well, the same thing is true for us. We find out what God is, who he is. Now, we've got to really dig in, and he will reward us. The Ethiopian eunuch that Philip was sent to meet on the road in Gaza. Tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself, or, or is there another one? And, and Philip happened to be there. God will make sure that everybody who wants to know the truth will. And God will lead them to the place where they can have that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. So, when you respond to the light you're given, God gives more light. And eventually that light ends, like it did for Saul of Tarsus on, uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. So, uh, everybody's heard. Nobody is without excuse. We have to decide for ourselves if it's a choice that we make. So, don't worry about the people that never hear. If they're faithful to seek God, God will make himself known to them. Here's the last question today. James wants to know, is the Shroud of Turin 
Jesus's burial cloth. James, it cannot be. It cannot be. So don't be misled by the writings, the stories, by church tradition. We know that Jesus was buried and there were two claws, one around his head and others around his body. Not one, but two. And both of those claws were there when they went into the tomb, Peter and John. John ran first, he got there first, he was younger, he was faster, Peter, big Peter lumbered in. John stopped out of fear, I think out of terror really, at the mouth of the tomb and Peter just ran right in and we're told they found the claws that were there. Jesus in fact folded them up. So it means the Shroud of Turin cannot be Jesus's burial cloth. All we have to do, James, is know our Bibles. That's all we have to do is know our Bibles and we won't be taken in by these legends, these fanciful legends. Hey, appreciate you tuning in today. Remember, this is our National Election Day. Pray that people will participate. But most of all, remember my admonition at the beginning of the program. Tomorrow, we're all one. Tomorrow, make peace. Get rid of your bumper stickers. Get rid of your yard signs. And start making peace with people who disagree with you. Thanks for tuning in today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.